0: And you are listening to WOKV's District 4 Spotlight in the race for Congress ahead of Florida's primary coming up on August 30th. My name is Kevin Rafuse. I'm joined in studio right now by Lake Ray. This is Ray. How are you today?
1: I'm great, Kevin. How are you doing? Oh,
0: good, good. It's, you know, it's that wonderful time of year, summer in Florida. You know, a little cooler today. We were talking about this earlier, but it's only in the 80s. Can't ever really argue with that. Who would have ever thought
1: that we would be saying cooler is 80s?
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> hey, like I said, coming from up north, it's definitely something I'm not used to, but, you know, I'll, I'll take the... Change. I'll take this weather any time of the year. But let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into your campaign. You have quite the history of politics, both here in Northeast Florida and on the state level. You served on the Jacksonville City Council. You are currently serving as a state congressman. What inspired you to kind of make the jump and want to get into the race to become a congressman on the federal level?
1: Well, I think it's a lot of always uh, the timing of when things open up, why they open up, and how they open up, and what the experience is you have to be able to go and do it. And uh, this was a case of that we have term limits in the State House and I was termed out. And it was uh, an opportunity. I had walked out of the legislature. I actually thought that I might not be uh, active in the political stereo anymore. And when I stepped out, we uh, saw that uh, Andrew Crenshaw wasn't going to run. When he said he wasn't going to run, a number of people reached out to me and said, you know, we need somebody with experience, that this race is going to be about somebody that has legislative experience to represent our area and to go and do good things, somebody that you can count on, somebody you can look at a record on and know that you got a good, solid uh, Republican-Conservative somebody who acts like a conservative Republican. And so uh, people reached out and said, let's uh, let's see if you can do this. And uh, I walked around a couple of weeks and talked to people, and they said, yes, I think you're the right person. So we stepped in.
0: So let's get right into one of the biggest issues. We saw a few months ago the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando. It's prompted a lot of reaction on both sides of the aisle. And one of the biggest endorsements that you've picked up so far is from the NRA for your record on gun rights. I guess, where do you stand in terms of the Second Amendment? How important is it going forward? And how do we stop this type of mass violence in the United States?
1: Well, I think that's always going to be a great question. Uh, The the problem that we have is it's not the guns that are are killing people. It's people that are killing people, whether that's uh, these uh, jihadists that are uh, Islamic uh, terrorists that are coming in or whether that's uh, people that are having mental issues and so it's about addressing what the real issues are. It's not about trying to see if you can find a way to take rights from people and every time we see somebody uh, doing something the first thing is is that uh, the liberals want to run out they want to see if they can grab some rights from somebody and that's just not how you deal with it so it's about uh, being realistic Uh, this uh, guy down in Orlando uh, he was on a, a terrorist watch list and uh, the real question is: Is why wasn't he being watched, and why weren't we doing something more aggressive? It's about making sure we have good policies that uh, protect the interests of the public, and uh, and to go forward with that. If you don't, if you are not going to. Uh, act on the information we have, then why do we want to gather the information? And the reality is, is we're not acting on in the information. We're not doing, making good decisions, and we've got to make good decisions. And it's about enforcing those, those policies that the uh, Congress, Congress has put forward, but also enforcing that uh, by making the executive branch uh, follow the law.
0: Well, and one of the issues that, uh, speaking of the executive branch, we saw President Obama last year give his executive order on immigration, something that is on a lot of people's minds, almost going hand in hand with terror a bit. Supreme Court putting a hold on them. On the other side of the coin, we've seen Donald Trump proposing to build the southern southern border wall, excuse me, across the Mexican border. What do you think, as we see calls for immigration reform on both sides of the aisle, is the best way to go about fixing this problem?
1: Well, I think you've got to control the borders, first and foremost. I, I don't think anybody in this country is really against immigration. I'm certainly uh, for immigration, but I am not for uncontrolled immigration. That's the problem. So we have totally uncontrolled immigration. We have people that are coming into our country and they have absolutely no interest in the benefit of this nation. Uh, you know, our historical reference has been people want to come, they want to become a part of our our nation, they want to become a part of our process. That's not true in what we're seeing today. They want to come and either be a part of our welfare system or they want to come and benefit from that by sending by taking jobs from Americans, sending monies back to their home countries. And we have others, of course, that are coming in, and they have uh, real terrorist activities in, in mind and wanting to destroy our nation and harm our people. And I think that that's what you got to do. you got to have sound immigration policies. First thing, let's secure the borders. If that's a wall, then it's a wall. If it's, uh, if it's a fence that's secured, then it's a fence. But the, the policies that we have going on uh, along the Mexican border right now is just completely nonsense. Uh, they, people come across, and they take them back across. They come back. It, it's just a back-and-forth uh, scenario, and it's not a reality. We've got to make sure that we uh, restrict those borders, and we don't go and welcome them with open arms and say, gosh, you got over here Um that's that's not policy we've got to make sure that we do uh, some sound policy find out who's here uh, there's some policies that I've worked on in, in the state legislature uh, to help us identify who those people are uh, if they're over here we need to know who they are in our state and so that when policies are, are being developed that we know who to go to and how to how to either deal with them a number of people saying you know figure out how you can not send them home uh, there's a there's a way to, to do 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 some sound policy in there it's not necessarily about sending them back although i think there's a, a strong sentiment for that and i certainly am happy to send people back or at least put them on a list and say here's where you are you need to come in the proper way just as we do with anybody else who comes in
0: and on the other side of the coin with immigration, uh, part of that issue has been the, the issue of Syrian refugees. We've seen President Obama call to resettle a number of them here in the United States. Governor Scott has proposed a hold on that, and so we have a more of an idea of exactly who these people are. What do you think is the best solution in terms of the resettlement?
1: Kevin, I did a piece of legislation uh, this year. Uh, that made it through the House, uh, the State House. Uh, this legislation was something that was very simple. I don't believe anybody believes that these refugees are being vetted very well. Um, they say that there's the, a greater vetting process because of the refugees. That's just nonsense, and we know it's nonsense. We see what's going on in Europe. It's these same people, and they're taking them from Europe or from uh, some other location and bring them in. Um, I believe that there's certainly people that are have terrorist thoughts and, and, and actions in mind. And some people will say, yes, well, it's it's one. Well, great. One out of a thousand M&Ms or one out of a thousand apples. Are you going to eat an apple if you know that there's a, a chance that one of those apples is going to be uh, a, an apple that will kill you? The answer is absolutely not. So until we can really get our hands around that, the reality is you cannot bring them over to this country, and you shouldn't bring them into this country. We should uh, secure safe zones for these people that they can go back to uh, Syria that they can uh, stay there, we can secure them, and it can be done a lot more effectively. Those are the people that need to take their country back over, not to take our country over because of a refugee refugee crisis.
0: When we talk about the fighting in Syria and the continued fight of the U.S. and other allied nations in Europe against the Islamic State in both Syria and Iraq, to the most part, Up until this point, we've seen the continued air campaign. We've seen special forces getting involved. How do we stop the or how do we continue the fight against ISIS? I guess would you change the strategy at all? What do you think is the best course of action? And more importantly, how do you think we defend against the type of homegrown terror attacks that we've seen in, in Belgium and in France, in both Paris and Nice, for example?
1: Well, I think uh, we've got to be realistic in in a number of different ways. I I don't think that uh, just simply uh, sending some drones and doing some air attacks are going to uh, accomplish what we want. We're going to have to figure out how to have strategic uh, opportunities where you're going to put people on the ground. Uh, And by the way, I'm not one that's going to be wanting to look at doing that in a very uh, rapid way. I have a son who's in Afghan uh, combat uh, veteran. And, uh, you know, my son's been out there in harm's way and I have no interest in seeing uh, our our soldiers, our citizens out there in harm's way. But the reality is, is that we're going to have to push this, this group back. We're going to have to show the world that ISIS is not in control and that they are not a, a benefit to a number of different uh, uh, people to, uh, in the homegrown scenario, as you're putting it, that there's not a group that they can Uh, reach out to that are here in the United States. We have to make sure that we're keeping an eye on what they're doing. Uh, We have to make sure that we increase our intelligence. Uh, What's happened over the course of the last last eight years has been detrimental. We have gotten rid of a number of our uh, intelligence opportunities. We don't have people on the ground over there, so therefore we don't know what's going on. And I'm I'm referring to our intelligence services that they're not uh, over there getting eyes and ears on the ground. So we don't know what they're doing and, and how active they've been. We've shut that off. That was a policy that was uh, made out of the White House. And we've got to make sure that Congress steps up and says, we need policies that are going and decisions that are going to be made. They're going to give us the intelligence so that we're going to be able to shut that down. If you shut that down, you're going to have a lot less opportunities and a lot less interest of people over in this country going to the caliphate and trying to uh, see if they can be a part of that and stir it up here in this country.
0: You mentioned your son, he's one of thousands of wonderful veterans that have served the country, both Iraq and Afghanistan, before that in Vietnam and the Persian Gulf and Korea. And one of the big issues that's come up in recent years has been the VA veterans not getting the medical care that they require. There's been an effort to fix it, but they're still finding problems all across the board. How do we fix the VA and what would you do to ensure that our veterans get their proper care?
1: Well, I think that they're beginning that process right now, which is giving them cards giving them uh, effectively the same uh, as an insurance company that you would have uh, so that they're not waiting in line. Uh, I had a grandfather who uh, was in World War II he was over at the VA. At that time, it wasn't nearly as convoluted as it is now. Uh, we have a bureaucracy that's running the VA. It's time for us not to have a bureaucracy, but have a responsive uh, system by which we're meeting the needs of, of those veterans that are out there. We've asked them to put their lives in uh, risk themselves. It's time for us to make sure we step up and to do the right thing and, and to protect them. So we've got to go in, look, and make sure uh, of, of what they're doing. Hold these agencies accountable. We need to make sure that we bring every agency uh, in before Congress, do just like we did in Tallahassee. We brought them in. We asked them what they were doing, asked them what these policies were, and and we got rid of a lot of regulations as a result of that. The same thing needs to happen with the VA and, for that matter, every other agency uh, that serves the United States government.
0: Switching gears a little bit to a bit of a lighter note, it's been a big part of Governor Scott's agenda, and that's bringing jobs here in Florida. And I know you serving in Jacksonville have just seen the the massive growth that has been in the city the past few years. Actually, a Forbes.com study got released the other day that said Jacksonville is actually the, the second biggest city that people are moving to in the United States, Tampa being the only one ahead of it. So definitely we see the effects in Florida. You know, How would you, St. John's County as well, seeing massive growth in both the school district and throughout the counties. How would you continue that positive momentum here in Northeast Florida and how do we keep people employed
1: Kevin that's something I've been very active in in the in the legislature <clears throat> my policies have always been uh, directed around uh, job job creation uh, and economic development uh, I'm the uh, I am the person who put the policies forward on on port improvements uh, not just for Jacksport but for all of our state when I walked in the legislature uh, eight years ago they were only spending eight million dollars a year for our ports as a result of that I I got in and I said, if you want to broaden the economic drivers, if we want the state to be in a better position to attract companies in, what have you got to do? You got to look at those opportunities and you got to broaden those. So it was basically four points that I worked on. One was broadening the economic drivers related to to ports. When I walked out, we had appropriated $1.2 billion in our port system during the course of the time that I served. Of that 1.2 billion dollars, Jacksport got about 380 million of it. It also set the stage for the deepening of the uh, of the river. The funds and the process that I put in place is something that we will be able to get the monies from the state perspective, which is about 25 percent of what you need for the dredging. Additionally, I put in uh, a number of different policies that would attract uh, companies in getting rid of uh, duplicative regulations. We removed 300 in about 3,500 uh, policies that were in there. They were duplicative. Uh, we we took each of those agencies, looked at them to make it a much more business-friendly environment. We got rid of taxes that applied uh, to manufacturing equipment. We reduced taxes uh, in in other areas. We also have done something that we're looking at that's very important. As you're wanting to attract companies in, you need to make sure that you have uh, policies in place that uh, provide skilled workforce for our uh, for for our people, so that companies that are coming in have the right skill workforce for these com- for these companies. And we're doing that, and it's showing that it's, it's paying off. Uh, as it relates to Jacksonville, uh, it's something that there are some issues that we've got to make sure that we tackle. Among those are making sure that our electric rates don't get out of control if you're talking about a manufacturing base because of the cost of electricity. And that's a very important piece when you talk about a product that's being made.
0: Well, one local project that you mentioned is the dredging at Jacksport and the, the effort to keep Jacksport competitive. I know up in Savannah, they're in the process of dredging the harbor right now. There's obviously competition with Charleston as well. You know, how important do you think that is for Jacksport's future, and, and how important do you think Jacksport is for the overall economy here in Northeast Florida?
1: And that uh, The the port system overall, and by the way, when I got into the legislature, uh, I had worked with the DOT in the Florida Chamber. We, we Uh, produced a document the document came out and it was a trade flow analysis and it said what would happen if we capture a part of a greater part of the uh the port traffic that's that's coming in the answer is uh that it would create about 150,000 jobs we did a number of those things uh and have implemented those and we've created those there's more jobs that we created as a result of the deepening of the of the river i think it's a very important piece for us to have in terms of of the deepening for us to be competitive Um, in terms of uh, savannah they're on a 20-year plan they've had that for 20 years jacksport has not had that plan for that long most of our ports in the state have not had that plan for that long and so as as you look at that you have to work through that there are issues related to uh, permits that are being issued that are uh, being challenged legally right now as the port works their way through that i think you'll see that we're going to come through that and it will become a big economic opportunity for us these are great paying jobs in the port industry the port sector they pay on average 30 to 70 percent higher and so this that's why they're so important plus for every job uh that, that we get what's the the extras that we get those that are uh supporting administratively or other transportation
0: jobs And so one final question. We know it's a crowded Republican field as we head into this primary in just a few weeks now. We'll end it as simple as this. What makes you the most qualified candidate to represent Florida come November as the Republican candidate in District 4?
1: Kevin, when we go to vote, when we go to vote, I'm an engineer. You're not going to be voting for an engineer. You're not going to be voting for a tax attorney which one of the candidates is. You're not going to be voting for a sheriff and you're not going to be voting for a businessman. You're going to be voting for a congressman. A congressman is a legislator. If we want somebody that's going to be going in and having experience and knowing how that process is, then you need somebody that has that experience. I'm the only one that has that experience to go into DC, a record that's out there that's a solid conservative Republican record that shows that we have been very successful. I saw some ratings, I am in the top 4% of the legislators here in the state of Florida in terms of our productivity and supporting legislation. I have a 93% record on that of the, of the legislation that I have sponsored has been uh, approved and gotten its way through. That's an enormous record it's an enormous opportunity for us in this area to send somebody that knows how to get things done and knows how to protect our interests. With the loss of Andrew Crenshaw and possibly the loss of Corrine Brown, we will not have a representative in Congress who has experience. We need to make sure we have somebody that can go up there and doesn't have to wait around, somebody that knows the process, somebody that can work with the people and get things done to protect Mayport Naval Base, to protect Jack's Naval Base. Naval Air Station. We have to make sure that we have somebody that can step in and can do that. There's no one else that has this this experience. And somebody who's out there, somebody that the public knows, somebody that the public can trust. And that's why I'm running, and I think that people will see. I'm a clear choice, a clear difference. If you want somebody that's going to just go in and be a seat warmer, then you have a number of other opportunities to be out there. But if you want somebody that can be effective for this area, somebody can walk in from day one and make sure that our interest is protected and make sure that we begin to work towards restoring the Constitution, I would be your candidate.
0: And you'll listen to the WOKV District 4 Spotlight. My name is Kevin Fuse Again, this is Lake Ray. Mr. Ray, thank you for your time. Appreciate you.
1: Thank you, Kevin. It's nice being here.